0: Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Please visit www.audiblepodcast.com slash castle for your free audiobook download.
1: Podcastle, episode number 76, for November 3rd, 2009. The Small Door by Holly Phillips. Welcome to Podcastle. I'm Rachel Sworski. Okay, actually I'm Dave Thompson. Rachel Swirsky is unfortunately sick with the flu as I record this, but she's using her sorceress powers to channel herself through my voice. Amazing what they teach editors these days, isn't it? Anyway, let me tell you about something special that's happening at PodCastle this month. Every month, PodCastle brings you reprints from other magazines, the stories that we think are the best of the best. This month, we decided to change things a bit. Rather than bring you the stories we picked, PodCastle went to the editors of several pro-paying online magazines that offer their content for free and ask their editors to choose one of their favorite stories from their publication for us to bring to you on PodCastle. Today's story is brought to you by Sean Wallace and Cat Rambo of Fantasy Magazine. Fantasy Magazine publishes fiction, nonfiction, reviews, interviews, and the occasional podcast. They also run regular contests. Sometimes the readers select authors to receive an honorarium or prize. Other times the readers can enter to win prizes of their own. They also offer free subscriptions to their newsletter, which makes subscribers eligible for yet more contests. The current one allows subscribers to compete to win a free copy of The Opposite of Life by Norell M. Harris. Fantasy Magazine calls itself Entertainment for the Intelligent Genre Reader. They seek to publish tales that delight, entertain, and enrapture readers. Stories ranging from delicious treats that melt on the tongue, leaving only a trace of sweetness, to the dark and poignant tales whose memory lingers with you for days, perhaps years. They want stories that make them think, and stories that describe what it is to be human, while also amazing readers with their mastery of language and story elements. Their guidelines note that since their first issue, Fantasy Magazine has featured authors of significant literary reputations, such as Jeffrey Ford, Caitlin R. Kiernan, Stuart O'Nan, and Holly Phillips. Of course, the proof is in the pudding, or rather the story. Take a listen to today's offering, and if you enjoy it, consider checking Fantasy Magazine for more fiction at fantasy-magazine.org and subscribing to their podcasts. Today's story, The Small Doors," by Holly Phillips, an award-winning fantasy writer and editor living in Victoria, British Columbia. Her first short story collection, In the Palace of Repose, has not only received rave reviews but won Canada's 2006 Sunburst Award and was nominated for two World Fantasy Awards. Her first novel, The Burning Girl, was released in March 2006. Holly's latest fantasy novel, Engine's Child, was published by Del Rey in October 2008. It's read for us today by Tina Connolly, an actor and writer in Portland, Oregon. Her stories and poems have been appearing all over the place in magazines like Strange Horizons, Asimovs, and Escape Pod. You can find her online at tinaconnolly.com. Oh, and one more thing, before I turn you over to the story. After talking about all the Fantasy Magazine's contests, well, I should mention, Podcastle is having one of its own. If you're a regular Podcastle listener, you may remember John Brown's Bright Waters, a giant episode that told the story of a Dutch man in colonial America. Well, John Brown's novel, Servant of a Dark God, is available now from Tor Books. Tor is generously providing Podcastle with three copies to offer our listeners. Unfortunately, for legal reasons, this contest is limited to the U.S. and Canada. So if you're a listener in the United States or Canada, and you'd like to get a free copy of John Brown's novel, Servant of a Dark God, send us an email at podcastle.contest at gmail.com by December 1st. We'll select the winners randomly, and send copies to the lucky three. Good luck. And now, The Small Door by Holly Phillips. Enjoy the story.
2: The Small Door by Holly Phillips only two more months to the end of school, and like a tantalizing forerunner to summer, the fair came to town. Sal saw the Kearneys setting up rides as the bus crawled by the Arena parking lot that Thursday morning. The Sizzler, the Tumbler, the Tilt a Whirl, the Ferris wheel unlit and seatless, leaning on its crane. "'Sal imagined it busting loose and rolling off down the highway, "'across the bridge, up the hill, past the school, and on out of town. "'She knew exactly how it would sound, "'a hollow steel-on-concrete rumble, "'louder than the river that ran so smoothly in its banks. "'She kept her face pressed to the window "'until the parking lot was out of sight, "'but the wheel only raised itself a little closer to vertical.' After school, everyone walked past the bus stop. A chain of kids, like a clumsy bead necklace, bunches and pairs strolling down. Even the cool kids, even the rebels, who might plan to get stoned first, but who are still going to ride the rides. Sal, remembering the sideways swoop and crush of the Sizzler, the jangle of rock music and yelling kids, the smells of burnt sugar and hot oil and cigarettes, expansion of the parking lot into a convoluted world that could go on forever, as long as you took the long way around every ride, and that only got brighter and louder and hotter as the day fell into evening and evening into night. Sal, remembering all this, stood alone at the bus stop and waited for the bus that would take her past the fair and home. Her mom was in the kitchen, crushing garlic into a bowl of soya sauce. "'What are we having?' "'Sal said. "'How was school? Did you do okay on the math test?' "'Sure, I guess. The test had been last week. "'What are we having?' "'Baked chicken. Macy said she might be hungry tonight.' "'Oh.' "'Sal picked up a garlic clove and peeled the papery skin. "'Wash your hands.' "'Sal peeled another clove. "'Is she awake?' "'She had a good sleep this afternoon. You might go up and see.' "'Sal brushed the garlic papers into the garbage and rinsed her hands, "'debating whether to mention the fair. "'Probably she shouldn't. "'Probably her mom wouldn't appreciate the reminder of the passage of time. "'Anyway, it wasn't like Sal could go, even if she wanted to. "'Which she didn't. "'Macy lay propped up on big pillows, her face turned to the window. "'She looked like a fragile bone doll these days, "'the flesh under her skin eaten up by fever.' And when she lay still, Sal always found it hard to believe she would move again. She didn't stir when Sal opened her door, but she wasn't asleep. She said, "'The weirdo has another cat.' "'Really?' Sal shut the door and towed off her shoes. The bed had been pushed up close to the big window, so Macy could look over the backyard to the alley and the houses on the other side. Sal climbed up, careful of her sister's feet, so she could look out, too. "'Is it hurt?' "'I think it's maybe pregnant.' "'Sal contemplated the gruesome possibilities of kittens in the weirdo's hands. "'She could just see over the high fence to the roofed chicken-wire pens in the weirdo's yard. "'It was impossible to know what was in any of those pens, "'until you saw what the weirdo took out of one. "'Cats? "'Raccoons? "'Crows? "'Even a puppy once?' "'taken out of a pen and carried inside, and never seen again. Three days ago it had been another raccoon. "'Macy was keeping the log.' "'Sal said, "'Do you think he'll wait until the kittens are born?' "'Gross!' "'Neither knew what the weirdo did with his captives, "'but it was hard to think of a possibility that wasn't horrible. "'Not when you saw that figure, "'with its thatched gray hair, lumpy shoulders.' "'and white hands as big as baseball gloves "'carry some hapless creature into the house "'with the broken drain pipes and curtained windows. "'Even cooking and eating seemed too simple, "'too close to human. "'Sal,' Macy said, "'we've got to find out.' "'You keep saying that.' "'Sal picked fuzzies off the bedspread, "'her mind drifting to the fair's candy-bright commotion.' "'But now I have a plan.' "'Sal's eyes slid to her sister's face. "'Despite being twins, they never looked that much alike. "'Now with Macy gone all skinny and white, "'her eyes shiny with fever and her hair dull and thin, "'they hardly seemed to belong to the same species. "'Sal glared at her own robust health "'when she brushed her teeth in the mornings, "'seeing ugliness in the flesh of her face, "'the color of her skin.' Macy's mind, too, had changed, as if, riding a tide of febrile blood, it had entered a realm that Sal could not even see. "'What kind of a plan?' she said warily. Macy finally moved. She rolled her head on the rainbow pillowcase and gave Sal a glittering look. The late light of afternoon shone on the sweat that beaded her hairline. Not the worst fever, Sal knew." The worst fever baked her sister dry and sounded like ambulance men rattling their stretcher up the stairs. The smell of garlicky chicken wafted into the room as Macy gave Sal her instructions. Friday was garbage day. There was no way in the world to do it casually. Maybe if she was old enough to drive and had a car, but no, Sal didn't think in ifs. If led to... If only Macy wasn't sick, and even if only Sal's bone marrow was a match. If never did anybody any good at all. There was no way to do it casually, so she just did it. She left the house like she was going to school, walked around the block to the front of the weirdo's house, lifted the lid of his trash can, hoisted out the sack, dropped the lid, and walked away. She didn't look at the weirdo's windows. If he saw her, he saw her, that was all. She stashed the trash bag, neatly closed with a yellow twist tie, inside the unused garden shed at the side of her house, and then ran, legs and lungs strong from P.E., for the bus. When she got home from school, her parents were in the living room having the discussion, mortgages, private donor lists, tissue matches, travel costs, hospital fees, time. Time sliced into months, into weeks, Seven weeks to summer holidays. Sal drifted past them to the kitchen, ran cold tap water into a glass, and carried it up the stairs. Macy hardly seemed to dent her pillows any more. Her hands lay on the sheet's hem. Her head canted toward the window. Sunlight filtered cool through spring clouds and gauze curtains, the same sunlight that dulled the lights at the parking lot fair. Sal had kept her eyes on her book as the half-empty bus trundled past, but the smells—cigarette, machine, hot dog, caramel—had billowed in the open windows and made her hungry. She stood in the doorway until she was sure Macy was asleep, then drank the cold water in one smooth series of gulps and carried the glass back down. The discussion continued. Even Sal knew the end result would be the same. Wait— and see. Months, weeks, days. The fair was in town until Monday. She put the glass in the sink and went out the back door. The garden shed had been there when they moved into the new house. The small house was how Sal and Macy spoke of it, as it was actually a lot older than the old house, older and smaller, and with neighbors tucked in all around." The people who had lived here before had kept a square patch of lawn and planted irises and other things Sal didn't know, between the grass and the weathered wooden fence. Sal's mother had said how nice it would be to have flowers and a manageable yard, but Sal noticed she never came out back, and the garden tools and lawn furniture lurked in the back of the shed collecting spiders. Inside was dark and smelled like mold, but Sal lingered a moment— The weirdo's trash, unacknowledged by her foot. She could almost imagine setting up the lawn chairs inside, hanging the hammock from corner to corner, using one of those collapsible lanterns like they used to have for camping. A tiny house beside the small one. Except Macy could never come in. Sal picked up the trash bag and took it outside. Look for fur, Macy had said. "'and bones, and bloody rags, and burnt candles, especially black ones. "'And incense. And chalk. "'What Sal shook out onto this shaggy grass was rinsed-out milk cartons, "'clean dog-food cans and cottage cheese containers, "'and a week's worth of newspapers. "'The creepiest item was a toilet-paper roll "'that she nudged back into the plastic bag with her toe. "'She didn't know what to feel about this lack of discovery.' "'but Macy would be disappointed. "'Or, rather, Macy would write another mystery into her log, "'and then come up with some other assignment for Sal, "'something a little bit harder, a little bit scarier. "'She always used to win the contest of dares, "'back when Sal could dare her to do anything. "'As Sal shuffled the weirdo's trash back into its bag, "'she had to admit to herself that sooner or later "'she was going over the fence into the weirdo's backyard.' She was tempted to get it over with, but that would deprive Macy of her share in the adventure. Sal had to comb the grass with her fingers before she found the yellow twist tie, and then she didn't know what to do with the weirdo's trash. After a moment's thought, she tossed the bag back in the garden shed and went into the kitchen to wash her hands. Next week she could put the bag in their can for the garbage men to haul away. Macy was on the I.V. again when Sal went up after dinner. The drip always made Macy cold, so she had a fluffy blanket wrapped around her arm, a pink one sewn with butterflies that didn't match the rainbow sheets. Their mom was convinced that bright colors would keep Macy's spirits up, and even Macy was too kind to tell her she'd rather have something cool and calm, like sand or stone. Against the gaudy stripes, Macy's face was a dry, yellowy-white, with patches of red in the hollows of her cheeks. She gave Sal a cross look. "'It's too dark to look at the evidence now.' "'I already looked.' Sal was not surprised when her sister looked more cross, not less. "'Why didn't you say so? What did you find?' Sal told her as accurately as she could remember. Macy rocked her head on the pillow. "'You must have missed something. Did the newspapers have any bits cut out of him? Sal hadn't thought to look— She hesitated, then decided on a simple no. Macy made an old lady tsk of annoyance. (laughs) He is too smart for that. I should have known. She looked out the window where dusk was fattening into dark. A light showed through the curtain window of one of the weirdo's back rooms. His kitchen, Sal guessed. All the houses in this neighborhood were variations on the one they lived in. She sat waiting for her instructions on the end of Macy's bed, and it was a while before she realized Macy was asleep. She went on sitting, listening to her sister breathe. Somewhere close, a cat softly meowed. Saturday morning, Sal would carry the TV into Macy's room, and they'd watch cartoons together, like when they were kids, and they'd sneak downstairs while their mom and dad slept in and muffle their laughter in sofa cushions. "'not that she had the sneak to do it now. "'Sometimes their dad would even move the TV for them "'before heading off to a weekend consultation. "'But this Saturday the morning nurse told her Macy had had a bad night "'and needed peace and quiet, "'which would drive Macy up the wall unless she was really bad, "'but you couldn't argue about things like that with the nurse.' "'So Sal wrestled a lawn chair out of the garden shed "'and set it up in a patch of sunlight by the back fence "'where she could keep an eye on the alley at least "'and pretend to be doing her homework "'and getting a suntan at the same time. "'Macy could look down from her bedroom window "'and know Sal was on the job. "'She was working on another senseless problem "'about the farmer who didn't know how big any of his fields were. "'She imagined a city guy with romantic notions "'about getting back to the land.' "'and neighbors that laughed at him behind his back, "'when she heard the unmistakable scuffling and whispers "'of kids trying to be sneaky. "'She dropped her pencil in the crack of her textbook "'and leaned over the arm of her canvas-slung chair "'to press her face against a crack in the fence. Three boys, probably about ten years old, "'too tall to be little, but still children to Sal's thirteen-year-old eye. "'They wore T-shirts and premature shorts,' "'and were elbowing each other into some daring deed. "'They stood outside the weirdo's tall fence, "'and Sal felt a hollow open up inside her chest, "'even before the tallest boy shrugged off the other two "'and with a gesture commanded a hand stirrup for his foot. "'The next tallest boy lofted him to the top of the fence. "'There was a thump, scruffle, scrape, "'and then he was over and out of sight. "'Like the boys in the alley, Sal waited, "'breathless for whatever would come next.' The boy might have fallen down a hole for all the noise he made. Her ribs hurt where the arm of the chair dug into her side. Her neck and shoulder creaked. She tried to shift position without losing her line of sight, and the chair almost tipped. She caught herself at the fingertips on the fence, and wondered if Macy was awake and watching, or if Macy was too sick to care. Sudden furious meowing—loose rattle of chicken wire, thumps, scrapes— and a bundle fell from the top of the fence, only half in Sal's view, but from the caterwaal she deduced it was a cat, wrapped in the tall boy's shirt. The two boys in the alley scrabbled to keep the animal contained, while the tall boy appeared shirtless, scratched, and triumphant at the top of the fence. He swung a leg over and posed for a second before hopping down. The hollow in Sal's chest swelled until her breath came short, The cat was meowing, more frantic than angry now. The boys were laughing. She dropped her books to the grass, got up, and fumbled open the gate. Hey! The boys, in the act of departing, froze. Let go of that cat! Even Sal could hear how lame that sounded. The shirtless boy looked her over and sneered. Make us, he said. The other two, prisoning the bundled cap between them, looked unsure, but excited at the possibilities. Sal swallowed, and thought of Macy, maybe watching. She took two fast steps forward and gave the boy a shove. He wasn't much shorter than she was, and was all wiry boy muscle under the scratched skin. He shoved back, and kicked her hard in the shin. Then it was all stupid and confused, kicking and clutching and someone's fist in the back of her shirt— "'until in the midst of scuffing feet and angry breathing "'came the unmistakable grate of a key, turned in a lock. "'The fight stopped so suddenly Sal found herself leaning for balance "'against her adversary. "'He shrugged her off, and they stood, staring, the four of them, "'while the weirdo's gate creaked partway open on rusted hinges. "'The smallest boy dropped the shirt-wrapped cat and bolted. "'The cat bolted, too, between the weirdo's feet and the fence-post.' back into his yard. Then the other boys were running, too, whooping insults to cover their retreat, and Sal was left standing in the alley with the weirdo peering at her through the cracked open gate. He had pale, defenseless eyes, blinking in the shadow of his thatch of hair. One huge hand shook with palsy on the side of the fence. As it registered with Sal that he was as frightened as she was, she heard the mewing of fearful kittens. She gulped a sorry at him and scurried back into her yard, slamming the gate behind her. Macy was furious. Furious, though only someone who knew her as well as did would be able to tell. Her hands lay as if abandoned on the covers, and her voice was a thin warble, as if she lacked the strength to control its ups and downs. But she had been indeed awake and watching and she thought Sal had done everything wrong. Those boys could have been allies. Why'd you fight? I don't think they were going to take the cat home and feed her cream, Sal said. It wasn't even a good fight. You fought like a girl. Sal shrugged. Her legs were black with bruises, and she was rather proud of the swelling of her lower lip. And now the cat's back where it started. She went back on her own, Sal pointed out. "'Well, you said it had kittens. It probably thought it had to protect them.' "'She was more scared of those boys, way more scared. "'Well, that's just because it doesn't know yet. "'Know what? What's in store?' "'Sal prodded her swollen lip. "'We don't know what's in store, either. "'Yes, we do.' "'All Macy's strength seemed to go into those three words— When she closed her glittering eyes, her hands, her whole body, seemed more abandoned than ever. Sal sat on the end of her bed and watched her closely, until she was sure her breathing was regular, then dropped her chin into her palm and gazed outside. The morning sun had been swallowed by clouds. It might even rain. She looked down at her math-books, still open on the grass by the tipped-over chair, and thought about going down to bring them in. There was no sign of the weirdo. "'You know,' she said quietly, in case Macy was asleep, "'he might just take them out the front door. "'He might just take them out and let them go.' "'Silence for so long she thought Macy must be sleeping, "'but then her sister said, "'Doesn't. "'How do you know?' Brings them in the back. "'Would take them out the same way.' "'Sal had to concede there was a certain logic to this.' Silence gathered in, while the clouds closed in tighter, darker. Sal thought of the kids at the fair, wondered how many parents had thought to bring rain gear along. "'I have to go get my books before it rains,' she said. Macy didn't say anything. Sal got up and went to the door. She was almost in the hall when she heard her sister's voice, thin as a thread. "'You're just scared,' Macy said. You just don't want to find out. Sal bit her swollen lip and winced. Having seen those fearful, blinking eyes, those shaking hands, she found she had nothing to say. She slipped out and went downstairs to put on her shoes. That night she cracked her bedroom window open and listened to the rustle of the rain. It followed her in and out of sleep, the same way her parents' footsteps did as they took turns to check on Macy. Every hour. Then, starting at one thirty-three by Sal's digital alarm clock, every half hour. Then when the red numbers shone 3.41, they were both up and about. She dimly knew that she did sleep, but it seemed as if she didn't. It seemed as if she were already wide awake when she heard the ambulance grumble to a stop on the street outside— In the tinny wicker of the radios, the paramedics reported their arrival. She lay still and comfortable while the gurney came rattling up the stairs, while the hallway became full of movement, while the calm, professional voices moved into Macy's room. Then she got up and opened her bedroom door. The bright light made her squint. She couldn't see past her parents, but from the crunch and rustle sound, the paramedics were tucking Macy in with cold packs. They were almost ready to go. She went back in her room and traded her pajamas for sweats and running shoes. The paramedics rolled Macy out and down the hall. Sal and Macy's parents, already dressed, followed. Sal trailed after. Her dad only noticed her when he turned to close the front door. Oh, sweetheart, he said sadly. You didn't have to come. Sal shrugged. Of course she didn't have to. Her mom came over and gave her a one armed hug. Macy's going to be all right. They just need to get the fever down. We'll call first thing and let you know when she'll be home. Sal didn't say anything. She couldn't. The paramedics were lifting Macy into the ambulance. One climbed in with her. The other was hurrying around to the cab when Sal's dad shut the front door, cutting off her view. The living room window filled with red and blue light like the lights of a carnival fairway. The ambulance pulled away. "'followed by her parents' car, leaving darkness behind. "'It was still raining in the morning. "'Sal waited until her parents had called "'before she headed out the kitchen door. "'Dr. Halloran wants to keep Macy in for a few days "'just to make sure. "'Mom will be home to pick up some things this afternoon. "'Dad will be home to make dinner. "'Be sure you finish your homework. "'Everything's going to be all right.' The weirdest fence was taller than she was, but she could hook her fingers over the top just the rubber toes of her sneakers skidded on the damp wood, so it was by the strength of her arms that she lifted herself over her hands ached and stung with splinters, and she dropped quickly more clumsily than she might have cement paving stones were a shock to her feet at her right hand. A cat growled low and angry, and she started. The huts were in two rows that faced each other across the small yard, six in each row. They had tin roofs pattering under the last of the rain, and wire fronts, and were otherwise made of plywood and boards, sturdy but not elegant. Sal was surprised at how big they were, four feet to a side, and on short legs. She was also surprised at the smell of clean straw that came from the bales tucked under the weirdo's eaves. Macy must have seen him cleaning the huts, laying new straw and bundling up the old, but she'd never mentioned it. Sal bent over to peer into the nearest hut and could just make out the mother cat's black mask glaring from her corner nest. The cat gave another warning snarl. "'It's okay,' Sal whispered. "'Your kittens are safe.' "'For me,' she added silently, creeping up the row. Most of the huts seemed empty though at the heaps of straw it was hard to tell. But the fourth one on the left had an occupant that was more than willing to be seen. Beady eyes in a lone ranger mask, damp, twitching nose and delicate finger paws hooked through the chicken wire of the door. The raccoon, small enough that Sal could have tucked him under her arm like a Nerf football, chittered happily at the sight of company. She hunkered down before the hut, then registered the shaved patch on the creature's haunch. "'the coarse stitching, the missing foot. "'She bit her lip and winced when her tooth hit the sore reminder of yesterday's tussle. "'Poor little guy.' "'The raccoon snuffled at her through three different holes. "'In his excitement he planted one forepaw on the plastic water-dish "'wired to the front of the hut. "'With a look of disgust he shook his paw, "'then settled down to lick it dry, "'keeping a bright eye on Sal between pink tongue-laps.' "'Sal rocked back on her heels and turned her head to stare over the fence "'and up at the back of her own house, "'at the wide, dark rectangle of the window to Macy's room. "'Excuse me,' said a rusty voice. "'But you shouldn't be here.' "'Sal rocketed to her feet. "'For one fleeting instant she'd actually forgotten. "'This is private, you see. Private property.' The weirdo stood on the back step, the door to his house open behind him. He wore the same navy-blue polyester jacket zipped up to his chin, the same gray pants baggy at the knees, the same blinking look of fright. Except this time the fear was mixed with a tenuous look of dignity. Sal felt herself blush. "'I'm sorry,' she said stupidly. "'I was just, uh, just—what could she possibly say?' Checking to see how the cat was, she twitched her head and shoulder toward the mother cat's hut from yesterday. I thought those boys might have she ran out of steam though the blood in her ears was hot enough to boil water. The weirdo's blinking slowed to a less frantic tempo, but you aren't the defender, are you? Oh yeah, Sal shrugged her hands creeping into the pockets of her jeans. "'I mean, I guess. "'You could have knocked, you see, on the door. "'Sal wasn't sure if this was reproach or simply information. "'Sorry,' she mumbled again. "'The weirdo, unbelievably, smiled. "'A funny, scrunching quirk of smile that disappeared his eyes "'and didn't reveal any teeth, but a smile nevertheless. "'You want to see the kittens.' He stepped down from the back stair and shuffled towards her. Sal, indoctrinated against the man who offers to show little girls his kitten, or puppy, or whatever it might be, tucked away in the back of his van, just around the corner, the teacher won't even notice you're gone, scuttled crabwise until her shoulder bumped the gate. The weirdo, with his lumpy shoulders and shaking hands, lowered himself with care to kneel before the mother cat's hut, apparently blind to Sal's skittishness. Looking down at his stiff hair, Sal wondered what she was doing here. Wondered, confusingly, if she wouldn't have preferred to have been run off by some harrowing Freddy-like creature, chased back over the fence and home. But instead of razor blades, his hands only had trimmed yellow nails, and a tremor that she was beginning to realize wasn't fear, or at least not only fear, but some nervous disorder, or possibly even age. The big, pale, shaking hands reached through the hut's open front and emerged a moment later with a palmful of squeaking black and white. "'Here, here!' The weirdo lifted the kitten toward Sal. "'You mustn't let her get cold, you see.' Impossible to take the kitten without touching his hand. Impossible not to take the kitten, even though the rain had dripped to an end. Almost shivering herself, Sal scooped the tiny beast from his palm warm and dry, and cupped her under her chin. "'Squeak,' said the kitten, blindly nuzzling her thumb. "'Hello,' whispered Sal, ruffling the soft fur with her breath. The weirdo reached with a rustle of straw to reassure the mother. "'What would Macy say to this?' Sal wondered. "'Get out while you can?' "'No.' "'Find out where they go.' The kitten was nestled in with her siblings, the wire doors shut on their nest, the weirdo raising himself to his feet. "'My sister,' Sal blurted, then choked. The weirdo blinked at her. "'My sister's in the hospital. God, how dumb! She's sick. Dumber. She might die. Dumbest. Sal could taste the salt reservoir swelling in her throat. The weirdo blinked some more. He seemed oddly patient, and despite the hands that still trembled at his sides, as if contact with the animals had soothed his fear. Your sister, is she the child who watches? He glanced over her head at Macy's window. Child, Macy would hate that. Sal took a breath. My sister sees you take the animals in your house, but she doesn't see you bring them out again. She took another breath, but there she stuck. The old man waited. The rain started to drip again. Sal shivered. My sister wonders where they go. The weirdo's blinks beat sad time with the rain. Your sister is in the hospital. Sal nodded. So you came to see. Sal nodded again, though. That wasn't it at all. The weirdo closed his eyes to commune with himself while the rain fell into a steady patter. "'and the raccoon chirped for attention. "'The weirdo drew in a slow breath, "'let it up quietly, "'and nodded before he opened his eyes. "'Yes,' he said. "'Yes, and then perhaps.' "'He looked at her doubtfully. "'Sal swallowed. "'It isn't anything bad, is it?' "'He blinked, Flit, flit, flit. "'No, it isn't anything bad.' "'But she would be crazy if she believed him. "'Crazy, stupid, dumb,' so Sal told herself as she followed the old man inside. "'But Macy would have dared her. "'Macy had dared her. "'So she stayed, while the weirdo opened the raccoon's hut "'and tucked the little animal against his chest and closed the door "'and led the way into his kitchen. "'The room was dim, dusty, seventies-orange curtains "'half-drawn against the rain or the prying eyes of the neighbor's children.' Every surface was cluttered with such a dense, organic jumble of stuff Sal could hardly make out individual elements—bags of dog food, screwdrivers, oily rags, cookie jars, coffee cans full of nails. The only bare surface was the wooden table, which bore a small first-aid kit and a bottle of what looked to be peroxide. The weirdo sat in the one clear chair and placed the raccoon before him holding him still while he rummaged in the kit for a cotton ball. Sal stood against the kitchen door, trying not to breathe the weirdo's air. It was heavy with smells, as jumbled and unrecognizable as the mess, not nasty, but his. His hands, forever trembling, were surprisingly deft in the dull sepia light. He swabbed the bare patch on the raccoon's haunch, then reached for tiny scissors. The raccoon curled around his restraining hand like a furry meal bug, sharp teeth nibbling his knuckles, unconcerned by the twitch of the stitch's removal. "'It isn't so much that they have to, you see, be healed,' the weirdo said. "'But they have to be unafraid.' He swabbed the points of blood, dropped the cotton ball, looked up at Sal. "'It's important they aren't afraid.' The hackles all down Sal's back rose and prickled beneath her clothes. The weirdo stood and lifted the three-legged raccoon against his shoulder. There was a door in the corner by the rattling old fridge. A cupboard, Sal thought, but it opened on a black doorway and narrow stairs going down. The weirdo started down without looking at Sal. Sal moved after. Macy had always found a way to make her wimp out before— always found the one thing Sal couldn't bring herself to do. But this time, this stare, she had to see it through. She had to see it through. The odors were stronger here, compounded by this smell of damp basement and mold dust. It was very dark before Sal's eyes adjusted, but she refrained from reaching out for a banister or wall. She didn't want to touch anything here. Groping for the way down, the flight seemed impossibly long. Her damp runners squeaked on bare boards while the old man's feet padded on the stairs. The young raccoon peered over his shoulder at her, black-button eyes inexpressibly cheerful and inquisitive. "'It's important they aren't afraid.' Was Sal afraid? She wasn't sure. Her skin tingled and the back of her eyes stung, and her heart was beating light and quick, "'and her hands wanted to crawl up inside her sleeves. "'But it wasn't the same feeling as when she heard the ambulance arrive. "'It was more like when she stepped out on the high platform "'above the deep pool at the aquatic center "'and looked down to see the the thin hiss of spray "'that was the only clue to where the surface lay, "'and curled her toes over the edge of damp concrete, "'knowing that even Macy wouldn't jump. "'She hated heights, the one dare Sal would never put to her.' and lifted her arms, and her head already flying and ready for the cold. The basement was warm, filled by a pervasive furnace hum. The old man groped above his head, a weird gesture that stopped Sal on the bottom step, until his hand found a string and a light came on, a forty-watt bulb that shone on his thatch of hair, the raccoon's eyes, the claustrophobic clutter all round. The mess of the kitchen was writ large here— Rusty bikes, wheelbarrows, and garden tools, cardboard boxes stained and warped by damp, glass jars filled with cobwebs and bugs. The dim yellow light was brightest on the ceiling of rough, web-hung joists, dimmest in the narrow passage that disappeared between walls of junk. The weirdo paused under the bulb, looked at Sal, blinking a little. Sal looked back. His hands cradled the little raccoon. It's a secret, you know, a secret thing. Sal swallowed. I won't tell. But your sister wants to know. Sal was shocked, then remembered she had told him as much. She's sick, as if that explained or excused. The old man hesitated, nodded, moved down the passage without looking back. Sal followed robot-like, numb, as if she operated her body from a distance, mental thumbs on the remote control. There was a room at the end of the passage, or maybe it was just a clear space, defined not by walls but by piled junk. Rocking chair, step-ladder, storm window, bookshelf, dollhouse, glass vase, all broken, all smeared with dust and mold and time, locked together like bricks in a wall." They sprang into being when the old man pulled another string, lighting another weak bulb. He shuffled forward, and Sal saw, set into the junk wall like it was just another bit of trash, a door—a small door. The size of a door that might admit a cat, or a puppy, or crow, or a young, three-legged raccoon, but nothing larger—nothing like big enough for a person Even if the person was a kid no bigger than Sal, who was not tall for her age, or Macy, who had become so thin. It was made of bare boards held together by brass screws. It had no proper doorknob, just a pole like on a cupboard or drawer. The old man knelt on the rough, damp-stained cement floor, with the same carriage shown outside, gently containing the raccoon that wriggled with excitement. He looked up at Sal, who still stood just inside the room. You can open it if you want. Then you'll see. Like a diver in mid-flight, Sal could not back out now. Flying, falling, numb, she walked over, her shoes no longer squeaking, and knelt beside him. Her bruised shins hurt distantly. The pain reminded her of Macy. She had almost forgotten why she was here. At close quarters, the old man smelled like his house, only sweeter, perfumed by straw and rain. Sal reached for the little knob, closed finger and thumb, pulled. The door stuck a bit, then jerked, and swung open onto a gurgle of running water. Drains, Sal thought. Storm drain. Sewer. Something. She cocked her head and looked inside. Outside. The small door opened onto a forest clearing. A stream of rocks and pools burbled almost within arm's reach of the threshold. Beyond, above, big trees raised a canopy against a blue evening sky. There were stars pale between leaves, birds singing on their nests, grasshoppers fiddling, a draught that smelled of water and earth and green. "'It always opens,' the old man's rusty voice said, "'on the place they'd most like to go. That's why they can't be afraid. You see, it's magic.' He set the raccoon down, and the young animal skitter-hopped to the threshold where he paused and sniffed, and then, as if it were the most natural thing in the world, he skitter-hopped over and headed down to the stream for a wash, and maybe to poke about for a dinner of frogs. And as he went, his injured leg grew fur, and a paw, and toes, and claws, and he was whole. The old man shut the door. They knelt together side by side before the crooked wall of junk. Sal cleared her throat. "'My sister!' "'I'm sorry,' the old man said. "'It's—you see. It's such a small door.' "'Yes,' Sal said. "'I see.' Her father came home in time to heat up leftover chicken for dinner. "'Macy's fever was down,' he said. "'The bleeding had stopped almost as soon as they were at the hospital. "'She would be home in a few days. "'Sally looked pretty tired. "'Maybe she should go to bed early tonight.' "'Sal agreed. She was pretty tired. "'As the school bus trundled past the arena parking lot on Monday morning, "'she saw that, early as it was, "'the carnies had been hard at work for hours. "'The game stalls and concession stands and rides were nearly all dismantled.' and loaded into the big rigs that would drive them to the next town. Only the Ferris wheel still hung, captive on its axle.
0: Whether you loved or hated today's story, we hope you'll keep checking out more audio fiction. Audible.com is the Internet's leading provider of spoken audio entertainment, providing digital versions of 60,000 audiobooks and counting that you can download to your personal computer or MP3 player. Listen any when, anywhere. Audible has been kind enough to offer a free audiobook to Podcastle listeners who sign up at audiblepodcast.com castle today. If I were to pick up something from Audible today, I'd grab Antibodies by Charles Strauss. The only Strauss I've read is a short story collaboration he wrote with Cory Doctorow. The lack of Strauss is a glaring hole in my reading experience. Strauss is popularly lauded as one of the bright spots in today's science fiction world, and I know I'm missing out. Again, Audible's generous offer is available only through their special URL for Podcastle listeners, audiblepodcast.com slash castle. Go and download your free audiobook
1: today. Feedback for Podcastle episode number 68, Marie Brennan's A Heretic by Degrees, in which it's the end of all the worlds as we know it, and I feel fine. Or as Will Smith might have put it, welcome to Driftwood, Allie said. A story centered around geography, I couldn't be more delighted. There was something so simple and childlike about it, it reminded me of the days when I pretended the supermarket was an exotic country. The spaces between buildings were another dimension, and the back of my wardrobe turned into Narnia. There was so much to love. Scatterbrain said this was pretty good stuff, a multiverse of dying and newborn realities in a perpetual loop, forever between life and death. Awesome idea. I think I could enjoy some more stories set in the Driftwood universe few people found the world building thrilling but got tripped up at other parts of the story. Scattercat said, I felt like I was hearing a description of a role playing game setting. The character of Last also had a really really strong player character vibe to him. Unfortunately it turned the story from the interesting moral dilemma of the counselor into the story of, look at how cool Last is. Last didn't seem to have any intriguing flaws or much of a personality beyond knowing everything. I'd rather have seen the counselor and the criminal explore the worlds on their own. They had a weird buddy cop vibe that amused me, whereas Last was just too competent. If you want more of Marie Brennan's Driftwood Universe, be sure and check out her story at Beneath Ceaseless Skies, appropriately titled Driftwood. It centers on the character of Last, and yes, I'd say his story does qualify as intriguing. That's our feedback for this week, all you apocalyptic junkies. Make sure you do that one thing you really want to do before the world shreds to an end. Drop by our forums at forums.escapeartist.net and let us know how we're doing. See you next week. In the meantime, enjoy the end of the world.
0: Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. You can discuss this episode of PodCastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site.
1: Alexander Grant Bell said, Sometimes we stare so long at a door that is closing that we see too late the one that is open.